The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. surface of us all is an ocean of roiling depths. Many of us have learned to navigate these waters, avoiding the hazards, but some struggle with the currents and tides of their own emotions. They're more than just themselves at risk. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and frog explosion, and you are entering Cinema Limbo, the way station for underappreciated films. This evening's seminar covers the 2003 comic book drama Hulk, directed by Ang Lee, and starring Eric Banner, Jennifer Connolly, Sam Elliott, and Nick Nolte. My guest is Chris Armsby, and you join us in a beautifully photographed pool of algae. Hello, Chris. Hello. What can you tell me about the Incredible Hulk? He's green, and he's incredible, and he's quite angry. I think his level of incredibility... Well, yeah. It seems to vary from film to film. Yeah, and TV series, yes. Yes. I mean, sometimes he's just a very big man. Mm. Sometimes he's like a kind of monster creature. And sometimes he's like a big ball of plasticine with a face. Yeah, that's the one. So this is a, uh, a unique venture in Cinema Limbo. It's a two-part episode covering a diptych I think, rather than a, a trilogy. So it's a, like a matched pair that, yeah. of Hulk and the Incredible Hulk. And the obvious place to start is uh, with the first film. And uh, did you see it when it came out? Yes, I did. And what were your thoughts at the time? <sighs> I didn't much like it, but I think that was kind of me and everybody else. I think reaction to the film at the time was a bit disappointed. Uh, I think it wasn't the... Am I right in thinking that generally the response was that there wasn't enough Incredible Hulk in it? Yes, it wasn't sufficiently incredible. No, it was uh, too the, much sort of psychodrama. The, the amount of incredibility in it had been missold. Um, I, I found it very, just, grim. I didn't realise that superhero movies could be this depressing. Mm. I, it's, I mean, it's even worse than, like, Man of Steel, in which Superman literally murders people. <laughs> Um, because it's so... I mean, I'm showing my hands straight away. Yeah. I think this is a pretty bad film. Oh, OK. <laughs> In that... I, came, I came to it with an open mind to yeah. re-evaluate it, and I thought, no, I was right the first time, this isn't very good. Yeah, I think it's, it's odd. Um, watching this and... Hang on. This one is Hulk. The this other one's one, Hulk. And the other one is The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. Watching Hulk and The Incredible Hulk back-to-back on... Uh, has actually kind of shifted my opinion on both films in a way that I didn't necessarily expect. Um, but no, I just remember coming out of the cinema and thinking it was too long, 
that there wasn't enough Hulk in it, that, that there was stuff that they talk about that it just seems unnecessary. Um, and the transitions between... So I think the one thing that annoyed me when I saw it originally and the one thing that still annoys me is the transitions between scenes. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that, don't worry. Um, so your opinion has shifted, you say? I think so, yeah. In what direction? I think I, it's still, it's still a flawed film, but it's better and more interesting than I thought it was at the time. Okay. And... Your opinion of the Incredible Hulk has kind of gone the other way. So you in, you enjoyed it, but now you think less of it. Yes, yeah, definitely. Ah, and I think the other thing that obviously we'll come to, I guess, in part two, is Hulk works on its own terms, whereas it's very very hard to talk about the Incredible Hulk without comparing it to the first film. I yes, think, and and so that, and that to me also makes me feel that the Incredible Hulk is perhaps a lesser film because you not so inclined to talk about it by itself. It doesn't really stand alone. I don't think so, It's no. very much the jewel of the Nile of Incredible Hulk films. <laughs> Quite possibly, yes. Um, Hulk starts with a very serious title sequence. Oh, yeah. A very portentous music, mm. and all the on-screen credits are written in Comic Sans. Yes, to to really get across that it's a comic that that, yeah. that pompous seriousness, but we don't actually know what we're doing. Flavor, I it's, feel. Yes, it's got that. Who was it that was? Who was the director of the terrible Batman films? The one that came after Tim Burton. His name was Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher, famously, wasn't it when he was filming Batman and Robin? Said they're comic book movies, not tragic book movies, or some fatuous cop. Yes, something like that. And. Yeah, it's very, very. There's a determination to, to make you realise that this is based on a comic. Um, and there's a lot of animal torture as well in the, in the opening credits, which is I mean. I, I suppose it's setting. It's obviously setting up the fact that that. Bruce Banner's dad is not very nice, but. It does get the film off to a very very weird start. Yes, we start with, in flashback, uh, David Banner, Bruce's father, mm. uh, is um, working for the government doing experiments on jellyfish and starfish and all sorts of things into bioluminescence and immunity and healing factors. Uh, he tests out things out on a monkey and the monkey dies. He's not allowed to do human trials. Um, meanwhile, his wife is... So he tested on himself... Mm. And then his wife turns out to be pregnant. Yes. And when did... Because I watched this whole sequence and thought it was set in the 50s. And then got thoroughly confused later on because I couldn't work out when the modern day sections of the film were meant to be set. Yes. Um, actually, what I hadn't taken into account was obviously that, that time makes fools of us all. And this is, what, 2003? Yes. And if you crunch the numbers, Eric Banner... Eric Banner? Eric, that's his... What's his name? That's the actor, sorry. Yes, yes yeah, you're yeah. right. See, that's going to be confusing. Yes, it is, isn't it? Um, he's the right age to play somebody that was born in the late 60s. So it does actually fit, but I think I'd just forgotten that this was a film that was made like 15 years ago. Yeah. It's kind of like watching... It, it would have been like watching a film that came out, I don't know, in 1987 or something, in 2003, if, in terms of the time shift. Like Superman 4? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
they live out in the desert, and there's lots of... Well, first of all, we have those strange edits, transitions, uh. panning from one panel to another yeah. as we move from one scene to another. Yeah. And there are on-screen captions, there are bits of multi-plane yeah. imagery. It's something that the Wachowskis did in Speed Racer a couple of years later. Okay, didn't didn't see that. That, uh, I wasn't keen on Speed Racer, mm. but that was intended to be a really high energy, yeah, uh, you know, full on audiovisual assault, full of all kinds of comic book tricks and yeah. styles and all kinds of craziness. And on that level, it works because it's just let's just let's just throw everything at the screen. But here, where you've got a very serious, solemn mm. film, but with these comic book transitions all the way yeah. through. It's it's a real disconnect. And it, the the other problem is that too often I kind of felt it was taking me out of the film. You're, you're expected to sit there and go, oh, that's very clever. But the trouble is you're expected to go, oh, that's very clever, like once every two minutes or something like that. And it, yeah. the bits that work better are where they do kind of picture in, so that the screen is divided up into individual frames and there's one thing going on one side and you know somebody might be looking at a computer screen and on the other side you can see the computer screen readout that works better because it's less distracting but really that's not much of an advance on what they do every no. week in 24 no that's true where they would have that kind of multi-plane yeah. image I, I feel that with the comic book transitions it does look a bit like what a comic book film would look like if someone's dad made it. Yeah. Well, by by one of these odd coincidences I was listening to, and this is going to sound like product placement now, because I was listening <laughs> to, to another pod, no, podcast called uh, Sitcom Club, and they were talking about uh, a long-forgotten uh, Andy Cap sitcom that Thames did. It ran, in like 1988, it ran for all the six episodes. Um, and the first episode of that is up on YouTube. And again, it's shot like it's shot like a three-panel newspaper comic strip. So it's incredibly static, with the camera just sitting there. And again, it doesn't work. Um, I don't quite understand what this thing of it's, you, a, it's a different medium. Yeah, if you were adapting a book for the cinema, you wouldn't have the effect of pages turning. <laughs> and I don't see why people keep feeling the need to replicate comic. <sighs> Well, they've stopped doing it now. Yeah, maybe everyone, <laughs> it was maybe I was just terribly excited at the time. Or... Well, it's it's the odd thing because there was kind of a dead period in mm. in the sort of superhero cinema between the late nineties and the mid two thousands. Yeah, where there was really all you had was the X Men films and this. Yeah, I suppose that's the thing, is you've got to consider that it's it's incredibly easy to forget when, I, I suspect in the time we've been talking, they've probably released another ten Marvel films. Or <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a bit of a wilderness period, wasn't it? Yes, I mean, um, Batman and Robin had sort of had that be killed all... I mean, I, I honestly don't think Batman and Robin is that bad. It's not a candidate for cinema limbo, because I don't actually think it's in any way good. No. But it's not a catastrophe. It's, it's passable fluff. Yeah. Um, that kind of killed uh, interest in comic books for several years. Mm. X Men was a. You watch X Men now; it looks very small scale and cheap. It mm. looks like a big budget TV pilot. Yeah, um, but it has aged well. I think it is a good movie. James Cameron had been working away in the background trying to get Spider Man. Oh yes, then he had Spider Man in two thousand two. Oh, was that had that finally come out by then? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah it must have done. But that came out while Hulk was already in production. Mm. 
so the impact from that would have been little. And that was made by someone who knew the comic book inside out, knew how to make it work, yeah. and had a cinematic style that really lent itself to a kind of high-energy yeah. uh, superhero story. So that worked really well. But then you have Hulk, and that then sort of just lets all the air out. Yeah. This came out the same year as X-Men 2, which is, I think, regarded as the high watermark of the X-Men movies. I And it's left a complete blank on my memory. I know that... The... It's the one with Brian Cox, the one with uh, Alan Cumming as the, the purple shape check, the purple teleporting mutant who can jump around and... I have seen it. I just don't remember a thing about it's it. It's the one where Jean Grey dies at the end. It's one of the ones where Jean Grey yeah, dies at the end. They should have just they should have just fitted a revolving door on that grave, shouldn't they? And then sort of everything came around again in two thousand five when we had Batman Begins. Yes. And that was that was the moment when someone actually figured out how to do a superhero story in a serious adult way mm. without making it dull and portentous and stodgy. Yeah. Although I have issues with the editing of the first Batman film. Oh yeah, the editing is not great. But it's even got a funny joke in it. I'll take your word for that. I just remember sitting there and sulking about the editing. <laughs> at, the end of the, at the end of the film is the big climactic fight between um, uh, Bruce, Bruce Wayne and Ra's al Ghul okay. in, in Wayne Manor as it burns down around them. And then they go off and have the fight in the, the, the cable car, the, the monorail, whatever. Mm. And... Um, Way Manor burns to the ground, and the following day, when um, Bruce is being driven to Wayne Enterprises headquarters, he looks at the paper, and the front page headline is "Drunken billionaire destroys home." Yeah, <laughs> which I thought that's that's, quite that's, nice, that's, yeah. the, that's the funniest thing in any Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah, <laughs> but it is pretty great yeah. because he goes to such efforts all the way through of just being an obnoxious playboy dickhead. <laughs> There's a lot of odd cutaways in Hulk as well mm. we get repeated close-ups of bits of wood yes and lichen and I never and, really... na- and things in nature yeah it's all as lichen's green isn't it I suppose yes yeah I suppose but is it just that but it's suddenly it all goes a bit thin red line in places isn't it it's suddenly a sort of a plant or something yes it is very Terence Malick isn't it I assume Ang Lee's making a point. I just don't know what the point is. Unless it's... Nah, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, you do get lots of shots. But this is one of the problems I remember coming out of the cinema with the first time round, was this weird front-loading of all this, all this stuff going on, isn't there? Because it's this mythology that's all right at the start, that the characters aren't discovering for themselves we're just being told this yeah. it's, it's being dictated to us but there's you know Bruce's dad has got anger issues and so there's a whole domestic abuse sort of yeah, da- yeah. simmering da- David, David beats his wife and in certain terms. then there's also there's the genetic experiments that have been going on and there's also a, some kind of explosion which I n- n- there's, never there's really a, there's a green nuclear explosion yeah um Bruce is apparently quite a, a reserved child. Yeah. He's always so bottled up. And it's just... It all feels a bit... I, I never quite understood what the point of all this front-loading of, of stuff was for. Except that, 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 that it, it's almost... 
He has an accident, and then because later he has an accident and he turns into the Hulk, and it doesn't. It seems the, the early stuff doesn't seem relevant, or it seems like it's been left over from an earlier draft. Or the film did go through quite a very lengthy, uh, protracted uh, pre-production period. There were a lot of different mm. script versions. There were a lot of different rewrites. At, at times, it was meant as a a much more straight superhero story. But you could almost have started the film with the sequence of Bruce cycling into work and then as you say you have the rest of it in flash but you don't need that opening and it's like 30 minutes 40 oh it's minutes? not it's not nearly that long oh okay maybe it just felt it feels like that but no it's it's like 10 at most oh okay fine got it yeah it drags but it's yeah. not absurd no okay then uh, yeah that was my memory playing tricks on there um it was uh ang lee's producing partner james seamus who wrote the 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 finished version of the right. script which made it much more of a, a story of fathers and sons in conflict. Yeah. That, you know, very rarely used cinematic device. It's, I mean, it's like nobody ever talks about it. No. Um, Lee says here that Lee cited influences from King Kong, Frankenstein, mm. Jekyll and Hyde, Beauty and the Beast. You know, things that people have talked about in relation to The Incredible Hulk since the character was literally fucking created. Yes. Um, he didn't invent comic book films. I think someone needs to explain that to Ang Lee. But you do get this sometimes, don't you, where people come across something for the first time and they're terribly excited by it and they just want to throw... All... And this is... Sorry, apologies for going off on a bit of a tangent, but was it Anthony Horowitz who did... Um, Crime Traveller. Crime Traveller. I remember reading a really sweet interview with him in the Radio Times where he said he'd never had any interview... He'd never had any interest in science fiction and he started writing the series and he suddenly realised there were all these amazing things you could do like what if somebody went back in time and bought a lottery ticket and it's just going oh, this is really sweet you're discovering and inventing stuff that people have been dealing with for decades I'm, I'm now going to uh, counterbalance that tale by something I read on Twitter this week that Anthony Horowitz went to a school <laughs> to um, uh, deliver a an assembly about his books and this was years before he started doing foils war and all of that and one of the children put his hand up to ask a question and it was so have you ever thought about writing any books for adults and he and his reply was that is a stupid question what a nice yeah (laughs) apparently he's a real shitbag (laughs) um so we jump forward years later yes bruce is now uh grown up he's living with an aunt, I, a foster I mother, know, I, an adoptive mother. I never explained. I missed all this bit, and, and to, to the point where I was genuinely confused. When you get the obligatory Stanley cameo, and he comes out and he says, "Good morning, Doctor So and So." Yeah, and I rewound that bit three times because I couldn't work. I was like, "Oh no, Stanley's gone nuts. Who's he, <laughs> who's he talking to?" Because, it, because yeah, because Bruce has a different last name. It's, yeah, it's. I think it's Krenzler. I can't quite tell it's because some, my handwriting's terrible. It's something like Krenzler, but I just didn't pick up on the fact that he had been apparently adopted in yeah. the intervening 15 years. Because his dad murdered his mum or something and then uh, got locked up for being crazy and a monster. And that's the problem. Because you don't... Uh, spoilers. Uh, because you don't see him murder his mum, because that's obviously a big dramatic moment later in the film... You see him a bit later, just talking to a woman as he's about to go off to university. And I just kind of went, oh, that's his mum. She's... But it's clearly not the same person. I mean, it's a different actress, I obviously. Was... I but may not have been totally engaged. But they don't, even, they don't even look the same. 
Uh, because they're because they're meant to be different characters. Yeah. But it's just so sloppy. Yeah. It feels like a first draft. Yeah. They've just thrown everything in. I thought, oh, we'll sort it out later. Mm. We'll fix it in the edit. Yeah. As I was taught, when you're writing the first draft of the script, don't edit anything. Mm. Just wang everything in there. Don't even worry that it's not structured properly. That's what rewriting's yeah. for, where you can just refine it and smooth everything out. But this feels like a first draft. It's, they've yeah. just slapped everything in with no real thought given to structure or coherence. No, that's right. Um, people make fun of him because he's wearing a cycle helmet. Yeah. Um, which annoys me because I like safety. Yeah, you um, square. Yeah. I see so many people cycling around central London not wearing cycle helmets. Yeah. I think I've had several accidents and at least one of them would have been fatal if I'd yeah. not been wearing a cycling helmet. Um, he works with his ex-girlfriend, Betty Ross, played by um, Jennifer Connolly. And he's passionate about microbes. No, she is passionate about microbes, I think. Uh, yes, yeah, she's, I think she's passionate about microbes and... She mentions that she has an obsession with distant men. Yes, exactly. Which is brilliant dialogue. Um, yeah, it's... Because, but, because she's got a father thing as well. Yes, yeah. Because everyone does. Because she's got an emotion. But hey, she's got an emotionally distant father. And, you know, what can mm. possibly heal the bond between father and daughter? Blah, blah, blah. I, I'm going to go... Eric, ba- Eric Banner's actually pretty good in this. I quite, I, I quite liked him. Um, so much of the time he's having to play um, cold and repressed. Yeah. And... But he at least it, a lot of the time, even with the best one in the world, it just looks like he's bored. Yeah, possibly. Um, I think, and this, I think he does a better job than Edward Norton in the next film. Oh, oh, I, shots fired, Edward. Um, but no, I think it, particularly in that scene where Betty's talking about having a thing for emotionally distant men, I think he's at least, if it's possible to underplay something in an interesting way, I do think he's doing. He's doing a he's doing a more than adequate job. Faint praise. <laughs> um, they test their particle accelerator on a frog. Oh yes, there's a great shot. Sorry again, Lee. There's a great shot of the frog sitting in a big glass sphere, which immediately made me think of the Doctor Who story, The Claws of Axel. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also about things mutating into big monsters. Yeah, that's true. It is, isn't it? Um, the their plan is to infuse the frog with nanomeds mm. and then fire gamma rays at it. Yes. And this will do something. Yes, it will. It's like, it's like the, in those olden days before science had to have a purpose. Yeah, yeah. It's Let's see what happens when we do this. Pretty much. Um, and what happens is that the frog bursts. Yes, and I don't think that's what they were looking for, was it? No. I noticed that there's a lot of mumbling. Yes, I had to, there were a few points. This was the this was the point in the film where I discovered that my TV had a setting that enabled me to boost the voice, so that I could actually oh. make out what people were talking about. But yeah, a lot of mumbling in this film. There's also a fellow named Talbot who's hanging around the lab, who's very interested in their work, mm. and he works for Atheon, which is an evil company. Yeah, and he's evil, and this is and he's also Betty Ross's new boyfriend, apparently. I think. I don't... Maybe. Or is he an old... Uh, or is he another old boyfriend? I think he might be another oh, yeah. old boyfriend. Um, but yes, and he appears to have wandered in out of a different version of the script because he's 
two-dimensionally evil. He's a textbook comic book movie villain. Yeah. Which is kind of odd, because this film's gone out of its way so far not to be a textbook comic book movie. Um, there's also a new hire at the uh, science experiment lab. The, the Institute of... Uh, I think I've used the laboratory guardian joke before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I mean, they have the cameo at the beginning of the security chief oh, yes, second yeah. in command, played by Stan Lee and Lou Ferrigno. Yes. Um, but the, the new janitor, who oh, appears that's... to live in a swamp, mm. and is played by Nick Nolte, who is in Dog's... I mean, who is it who hears super low frequencies? Whales? Uh, whales, possibly, yeah. Yeah, mainly things that live underwater, I suspect. Probably jellyfish again. Uh, Nick Nolte speaks with a voice so subsonic and growly that it is difficult to hear most of his dialogue. Hmm. It's like he's compressed a thousand years of cigarette smoking into a single human lifespan. Yes, he's definitely he's acting in this film, isn't he? He's doing a lot of the acting. I mean, yeah. it's like he's making up for the, the, <laughs> yeah. the sort of the, the mild blankness of yeah. so many of the other characters who've been told to underplay it. Yeah, and you've got his dogs wandering around in a secure medical institution. It's uh, but then again, the security of this uh, the security in this place is run by Lou Ferrigno, so it's apparently not very good. I mean, yeah, Stanley's busy. Uh, Calling people in, the wrong name in the in the grotto at uh, the Playboy Mansion. Yeah, Lou Ferrigno is busy painting himself green, and he's for not reasons he's best known to himself. And he's not going to cover himself in much glory when he reappears as a security guard in the second film. <laughs> he's, he's just terrible at that job. In the second film, he does at least provide the Hulk's dialogue. Oh yes, of course he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and by the time they got round to putting him in the Avengers, uh, he doesn't do any of that at all. <laughs> Uh, they finally decided to let the actor who plays Bruce Banner do the Hulk's mm. dialogue and yeah. actually play the Hulk. Because the Hulk in Hulk is not played by Eric Banner. He's played by Ang Lee. Oh, what, the, the grunting and shouting? The motion capture oh, right. is Ang Lee. Okay. Interesting. Do, any particular reason why he wanted to do that? Because he's the director and he decided that he knew best. Right. They're fine. Maybe he heard all the kind of the Oscar chatter for um, ugh, Golden Bloke. Oh, uh, Andy Serkis. Yeah, you know, it, it maybe he thought that he could get. A, he, he, there was a lot of Oscar chat, chatter for Andy Serkis, and maybe he could get some of that reflected glory. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, mean, I, didn't, I, I don't know, but um, he seems the least suitable person to do that. You would either get Eric Banner to do it, yeah, or you get some sort of mime, yeah, you know. You know, movement specialist. Yeah. You get you get the Rosalind De Winter of two thousand and three to do. It. <laughs> yes, that's a deep Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, to you know, because you need someone who can ex- you know can express themselves mm. through that kind of movement in the way that a you know I mean Eric Banner starts out as a stand-up comic. As far okay. as I'm aware, he's not a trained actor. I should no. have probably looked into this. Um, he's kind of just sort of fell into being a serious actor. And he's done some really great performances. Um, but I don't think he'd be suited to this. No, it's odd. I, I don't think it... He's more a Lee Evans type, you want. Yeah, I suppose... Watching 
both of the Hulks actually I never really gave much thought to the kind of the movement of the Hulk itself it was just I just assumed it was somebody going well we just press this button and it does stuff no it's motion capture both yeah times. didn't Oh, didn't I? But it's motion capture, and then the f- I think at least on Hulk, the face was not mm. um, performance capture the way it was in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but maybe as well, maybe that's one of the reasons why the Hulk doesn't register as a particularly as a character because it's not played by an actor. There's no performance to base yeah, it on. Yeah, no, that's it. It's just it's just it's just a guy in a, in a leotard running around. Yeah. Don't know, um, but I did certainly didn't know that that was Ang Lee. Um, I think it works much better when you've got Mark Ruffalo because he's actually acting yes. as that, and he comes from a theatre background. He's done French theatre, so he's used to doing kind of weird stuff like that. Well, but it also gives you know the the whole kind of Jacqueline Hyde. You know, it is the two sides of the same personality, and it makes more sense for them to move in the same way. And yeah, the other issue is, I mean, attaching to that. I never get a sense during Hulk that Bruce and the Hulk are the same person. No. I mean, you obviously get endless shots of Betty in both films looking at, oh, go, oh, oh, oh it's you, Bruce. But you never... Because it looks a little bit like yes. him. Yes. But there's no other... Re- there's no emotional link between the two. No. In a way that, again, the Ruffalo Hulk does so well. Yes. Because you can see, and I think the Norton Hulk does very well. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Yes, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Betty meets with her dad, who is General Ross. Yes. I'm struggling now to remember why she goes... Oh, it's because her ex-boyfriend's sniffing around and being cartoonishly evil and threatening to buy out. Twirling his moustache. And making... What is it? It's better to be uh, something... A rich... There's some line about being a rich... Scientist rather than the poor. I, I forget what it is. Poor. It's the kind of thing that you'd expect a cartoon billionaire to say before yeah. closing an orphanage <laughs> and burning down a Christmas tree. Yeah. Um, and her father is uh, General Ev- Everett Ross. Is that right? I can't remember I can't what his first name. name. I think his first name is General, isn't it? He's played, however, by Sam Neill. Not no, he isn't. He's played by Sam Elliott. I was going to say. <laughs> um, and that's, I mean, it's obvious casting, but it's perfect. Mm. I think he's the best, it's the best casting yes. person. And it's the only, I think, casting choice that they get right in this one that they can't, that they don't supersede with Incredible Hulk. Okay. William Hurt is very good. He's a very fine actor, but he's not, he's not hitting, the, hitting the character the same way yeah. as Sam Elliott does. Yeah, no, I, I, I like him. He manages to... He, he's quite you know he, he makes the he makes the right kind of character moves for the, for the film in that he starts out as a sort of a, a the, the villain and you know he becomes more sympathetic and yeah you know, yeah I think the way, because he has to be tough and serious yeah. and no nonsense but also have that care and concern of his own daughter yeah so many of his decisions are motivated by wanting to protect his daughter from this crazy green monster. Mm. Um, and I think it works much better here than in Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Yes. Because he has much more of a shape to his character. In Incredible Hulk, the character doesn't have that kind of story, I don't think. He's just, we need to capture the Hulk. Mm. Um, 
I'm going to hire you, Tim Roth. And then Tim Roth goes off and turns into a lunatic. So, oh, well, that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Incredible Hulk. I need you to capture Tim Roth now. Yeah. Oh, what a, what a hilarious inversion. Uh, and we'll talk about Tim Roth's crazy performance in the next film as well. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's, another, I mean, there's lots of dream sequences as well with pictures coming to life and the green nuclear explosion. Yeah. And it's never really established what his what what David Banner does is it? He goes into the base and he flips a few switches and and then this thing. There's a the there's gamma a, bomb. I think they I think the one time they kind of vaguely refer to it is as a gamma explosion or yeah. something. What it is or why it does it or why it matters is is just there. The janitor takes some of Bruce's hair. Yes, as well. And also goes and uh, spies on um, uh, Betty at home. I remember spying on Bruce. He's just generally lurking around and being weird. He's being... Yeah, he's being as as suspicious as you can possibly be. Um, Again, it's that disconnect between trying to do a serious treatment of comic book material and having characters who look like they've jumped out of Banana Man. Yes. You know, you've got the the crazy old scientist and the smarmy corporate executive who wants to exploit Bruce for commercial profit. (laughs) And you could do that in a Marvel movie because you've got, you you know, you can have something that's silly because it can counterbalance it. Yes. And you can do a multitude of tones. Whereas here, they're just so extreme. Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't work. Nobody seems to have... Nobody seems to have sat down and quite worked out what the what the tone is meant to be. Is this a comic book movie or is this a tragic psychodrama or yeah yeah is it is this an action adventure? Yeah. So there's a character over there and another character at this and, and yeah and it just it doesn't quite feel at times like anyone maybe nobody was talking to them because Ang Lee was off in the motion capture studio all the time. I don't know, but he was thinking, oh, which. Which which panel layout shall I use for this bit of editing? Yeah, which button shall I press? And the janitor seems to be obsessed with Bruce in some way. While Talbot calls up General Ross to try and exert pressure on him mm. because of military contractors and stuff like that. Um, in the uh, accelerator lab, um, there's a short circuit and the operation starts while there's still somebody in the yeah. room. And Bruce heroics, heroically leaps in and stands in front of the gamma emitter. Yes. So, so that the other guy will be okay. And uh, and I know this is kind of one of the... This is a, the, exactly the kind of thing that shouldn't bug me. But the effect of him being irradiated is such a crummy looking... I, I think the word is like solarization, where they kind of cycle through. Yeah. It looks like... It looks like something you'd expect to see in a, t- in a TV series. And maybe it is meant to be echoing the Hulk TV series. I don't know. But it... It just looks really cheap. And there's a few of, a little bit later as well, some of the transitions, the picture kind of, I I don't quite know how to describe it, they kind of break up into like a particle effect. And again, it looks like the kind of thing you would have expected to see on top of the pops with somebody playing around with the Quantel box. It's just, it's just odd. His eye turns a bit green. Yes. And he has another vision of a green nuclear explosion. Hmm. And then he wakes up in hospital and he's fine. Yeah. And all his, all his ailments have been fixed, although yeah. it's not clear that there's anything really wrong with him. Yes. But he didn't have flu, 
or diabetes or no he just had a gammy knee didn't he and that's he should have been more ill yeah or, yeah they... or he had I mean it's a bit difficult if you cycle anywhere but he should have had something a bit more serious wrong with him yeah maybe something that the uh, it's difficult to know what the audience or his, appe- or his appendix has gone yeah something something like that like he's um, in some way become slightly superhuman yeah he doesn't need glasses anymore oh they, they've done it with Spider-Man they did do that yeah but no it is that he doesn't need a hearing aid anymore. But you're back to the line, every, you know, the show not tell. The Spider-Man, they show us. He yeah. picks up the glasses, puts them on, and you see his point of view, and suddenly everything's blurry when he's got his glasses on. And he takes them off, and, and then he gets, and as he's looking in the mirror, and he gets a first look at himself yeah. in his new super buff Spider-Man physique. Because Sam Raimi really knows how to tell a story visually. Yeah, whereas in Hulk, Eric Banner tells us that he's better. You know, he sits there and goes, I've never felt better in my... You know, and it's just, well, that's great. You could have had someone holding up two x-rays and saying, oh my God, the the explosion fractured his knees. No, that was the before. His fracture's healed itself now. How the hell did that happen? It's the... It's one of my favourite jokes from Future Armour where the robot devil character turns up and goes, you can't just have your characters talk about how they feel. That makes me angry. (laughs) Um, There's something I've written here, which is... Can you read that? Not without my glasses. Ironically, not without my glasses. Wakufen Paramatics? What? Workman... Hmm... It looks like it could be Workman. Uh, no, I can't. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, I, I can't help you with with that one. Um. Um, but he had another nightmare of deserts and jellyfish. Yeah, and the Hulk hiding in the closet because of the gamma radiation. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Sorry. It took me a while to. Barry Cryer. Thank yeah. you very much yeah. for that. Um. And he wakes up to find Nick Nolte looming over him. Oh, yes, that's right. Because this is a secure medical institution, so crazy old men with dogs with can dogs. come and go as with they With dogs aren't even on leads. No. And so, oh, your, your real name is Banner. Exposition, exposition. Oh, I lied your father. Oh, they were lying. You said your parents were dead. Quick, there's a, there's a chance that the audience might have worked something out, so let's tell them again. Because again, that's all this is is just is just exposition. Yeah, no one finds anything out. No, someone walks into a room and just vomits up the next page of script. Um, and says, "Oh, you're going to have to watch that temper of yours." Yes, <laughs> which is a bit of a weird thing to say because that should be followed by because when the last time I lost my temper, I murdered my wife. <laughs> Yeah, too soon, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the film is not even an hour in yet. So. No, that's true. Um, Bruce and the General have lunch. Is that right? No, no. see, the different, difficult thing is, I abbreviate people's names in my notes. Why? And everyone's got a B in their name. Yeah, yeah. So I have to do initials, and then I get confused, because you've got David Banner, Betty Ross, Bruce Banner. Yes. It's all B's and... B's and D's, B's yeah. B's and D's. Betty and the general have lunch, and she's interested in Bruce. Or one of them is interested in yeah, Bruce. Yeah, and the... Well, this is in the wake of... No, hang on, we're still in the wake of the accident, aren't we? Yeah. Um, the... 
She goes, yeah, she goes and has lunch because evil cartoon businessman Talbot. 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 Um, you need that, that. That's a name that would be good for a certain class of actor to kind of spit out contemptuously. <laughs> it's, uh, it needs an English accent. Yeah. Talbot. Mm. Doesn't sound right. Talbot. Yeah. Talbot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, she goes and talks to her dad. But it turns out is that the, this the bit where again it's the he his opening gambit is what do you know about Bruce and. Again, it kind of feels a bit exposition-y rather than a character pace. Um, and she walks out, and the kids in the audience and me are sitting there going, where's the Hulk? Where's the Hulk? Oh, I saw a video the other day on Twitter, which I enjoyed enormously, of a, like a two-year-old girl <laughs> watching The Avengers, and Bruce turns into the Hulk, and you could see her looking more and more... Sort of Irritated at this behaviour, no, <laughs> stop that! As he's smashing with him, no, stop breaking it. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm gonna have to track that down. He's so upset at his yeah, lack yeah. of good manners. That's not that. Those aren't the rules. Yeah. No, you don't break things. Yeah, Mummy you... and Daddy said. Yeah. Looking green, transform. Oh yeah, it's the the film. Bits of the film like, are like playing um, as though you don't know what's going to happen. Yes, that's part of the pro- that's part of the problem because there's been the a bit like Scooby Doo, who's the mysterious hairy bearded man that's hanging out? Well, it's obviously Bruce's dad, but it expects us to be surprised when I think it expects us to be surprised when Bruce turns into a monster. Well, there is that as well, yeah, um, and that's the problem. Is it? It's often it's like the joke you get whenever they make a new Spider-Man film and it starts with him being bitten by an insect again because mm. there are still apparently people that don't know the history of Spider-Man. And that's, yeah, all the way through this, there's this sense that nobody nobody has heard that this... Qu'est-ce que c'est Hulk incredible? Yeah, <laughs> nobody has ever... Incroyable. <laughs> incroyable, so... Um, nobody has ever heard of this character, and yeah, well, it's like in um, Inspector when the villain character says, "Oh, actually, I changed my name to Ernst Stavro Blofeld," and the audience is expected to be surprised, even though mm. the ca- means nothing to the characters. It's kind of yeah. the reverse of that because it's like, yeah, what's going to happen when when you know the mutation and Bruce takes hold well it's going to turn into the incredible fucking Hulk isn't yeah. it because the clue's in the title of the film like on that poster that I saw outside yeah and it's the, and the, the same thing who's the mysterious bearded man that's hanging around well there was only one other male character in the film um, so in the lab um, Bruce is confronted by his dad and then he gets really angry and turns into a but a doesn't he I kind of got the impression that he doesn't isn't he just looking at some records or something? I can't. I I, I remember kind of feeling a bit, the the emotional stuff that leads up to him turning into the Hulk is a bit underwhelming. Yes, it is. Um, it's he's had this whole mystery confrontation with the bearded man in his hospital room and the dogs, and then he sits there and he he's sort of sitting there looking at stuff and he's a oh he's a bit frustrated, and what? I don't know. The, the boot up time for wind who knows but yeah he's it's it's just it's very very the, the actual moment of him turning into the Hulk is 
doesn't feel like enough of an emotional trigger. It should be evil cartoon businessmen turning up. It should be Tolbert turning up and causing trouble, or Betty. It, it, there should be something else to it. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, he turns into the Hulk and he smashes the place up. And, and, then, and then jumps around and runs off. Yes. Um, I mean, this one establishes that the Incredible Hulk travels by jumping everywhere. Which he does in the comics as well. Yeah, but in the comics, they don't take themselves as deathly seriously. Well, yeah, no, that's true. So here it looks pretty funny when he's bouncing around like a gummy bear. Oh, Krenzler, that's it. I've spelled it several different ways in my notes. Um, Bruce is, uh, winds up somewhere or other, you know, mm. generally. Um, obviously he's, he's put under house arrest, I think. And um, David go, David Banner goes to visit... I mean, it's, the film is just so boring by this point that I was kind of losing the thread of what was going on and got distracted by the buses going past is, outside my house. It is very, very... I mean, I'm, I'm sort of slightly... Because I only watched this film two days ago, <laughs> and... It's kind of melting into the distance. It's, yeah, it's um, there's so little to engage interest. The individual bit, that, and that's that, that's the problem. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm kind of sitting here and I'm aware that at the start I said I thought this was an interest, and it is an interesting film in the sense that it's try, it's got some rough edges and it's trying to do stuff a bit different. It's doing it in a very ham-fisted way. It's it's not just trying to follow set patterns mm. in this kind of storytelling. And you're right that it's it's good that it's just not yeah. following formula, but its attempts at doing something original are so yeah. cack-handed. And I think that's the problem is to, to to sort of say, well, this film isn't as bad as you remember. You kind of have to step back and look at the whole thing. Yeah, the moment you try to actually sit down and look at the film, you go, did did that happen? Did the mm. um, yeah? Because he's put. Oh, he's put under house arrest in the kind of the way that just makes you think because he's put under house arrest and the lab is sealed off so his dad naturally goes there and uses all the equipment later on to yeah. it's just it's just one of those films where everybody it just appears to be useless at their jobs um, David wants to have Betty killed by his dogs um, does he? and he's his dogs have. Oh, he's, oh, he's, yeah, oh yeah, he's, yeah. He's been fire, he's been firing gamma radiation at his dogs to mutate them. So now he's got Hulk dogs. Yes, we've kind of skipped because there is one particular bit that we've skipped over, uh, where he's. I've got to remember because this is where I'm in danger of getting confused because Dave. It's Bruce in the comics and David in the TV series, isn't it? I yes. think, and that's why you've got both names crop up in the film. So David sees Bruce in the hut because he's hiding in a cupboard or something, isn't he? And he looks because there's a scene where the Hulk walks towards his dad, yes. and they have a moment. And there's actually quite a nice little special effects moment where the Hulk walks through some sprinklers, and they've obviously put a lot of effort into that bit because the the the, the sort of the shot of the spring the water from the sprinklers in interacting with the Hulk is is very well done. Um, but anyway, his dad goes off and experiments, and doesn't he at one point make a Hulk rat? He experiments on rats early in the film. Yeah, and I think it happens to the same end as the frog. 
Oh, does it come to the... Because I was looking at the bit where he's making the Hulk rat and thinking, what happened to the rat? Uh, maybe he just releases them into the sewers or something. But maybe they do explode. Maybe I missed that bit. Maybe only parts of them get big. Yeah, possibly. But yes, anyway, you're right. He's he's also... <sighs> he, one thing that annoyed me is he approaches Betty and he calls her Miss Ross. I thought, no, she's a doctor... <laughs> you call her Dr. Ross. Yeah, call her by a title. It's patronising. I mean, to be honest, you kind of expect it from a guy who murdered his wife because she answered back to him. But it kind of passes without comment. Yeah. And that annoyed me. So, yes, let's. So, Bruce is under house arrest. The David is creeping about and, and steals, steals Betty's scarf. So that he can then give his dogs her scent. Yes, but why is he? He's trying to. I assume he's trying to trigger another change in his son. Is yeah. that it? Or is he trying to? Te- or is it perhaps it's never quite explained? It seemed to make. It seemed to, uh, uh, as much as anything that people do. It seemed like a reasonable. It, it seemed to make reasonable sense at the time. But I couldn't really explain why he does it now. But yes, anyway. And also, the, also, General Ross wants to know where David is. Yeah. Because he was working on the project that David was developing years yes, earlier. Yeah, and he doesn't believe it's a coincidence, which is fair enough. It is a pretty um, big coincidence that Bruce and Betty knew each other when they were very little, mm. and then they completely forget about each other, and then separately come back together in later life to work on a project together. That's the same as the one that his dad was working on. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, it's mentioned casually later on when they go back to the base. So, oh yeah, I remember when I used to live here. So, oh, you're mentioning this now hmm. that you both lived on the same military base together. Yeah, and you would actually think that would, could have been the kind of thing that could have been established in the opening. At least have a, a young girl wandering around, or or some or that plays into some kind of reveals. So, what you yeah. lived, you what you lived on, um, Corman base as well. Yeah. How, Oh, yeah, yeah. My dad was, uh, you know, back when he was a colonel, he was involved in the research problems. stuff. he didn't talk about it at home, obviously. I mean, I was mm. only a kid. This is, and so that that could lead into some kind of investigation plot mm. where characters find things out. Oh, this is just so boring. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> I'm trying to. Uh, I'm resorting to just reading out the Wikipedia page now. So, uh, David and. Bruce, do they? They must have a conversation because does does David tell Bruce that he's sent his his radioactive dogs to kill Betty? He must. He's have. lured Betty to his house of madness and locked Betty in the garden or something like that. Mm. Um, she's in a. And then I think David phones him up. And says what's going to happen. Just as Talbot turns up with his. Oh, that's it. I was tr- why that was what why I was struggling to remember because obviously when when Bruce is at the lake, he's the Hulk. Yes. And what I couldn't remember was what makes him turn into the Hulk. And of course, it's Talbot turns yes. up and is evil and cartoonish again, um, and then proceeds to take. <sighs> And this is my other, and this is a bit of a low-level bugbear, but the amount of physical damage people take in this film without dying. Um, he gets thrown across the street by the Hulk at one point yeah. and smashed into... 
and, and, it, it, and it fractures his collarbone. Yes, yeah. Oh, he's got a bit of a sore leg, yes. Um, and there's another bit later on um, where a tank is thrown for like half a mile by oh, the Oh, that really annoyed me. And then the guy climbs out because it's the A-team, everybody's fine. Yeah. yeah. One problem I had when the film came out is that my, my understanding of a lot of comic book characters is really based on just the film versions because mm. I've not really read many comic books. So I, my understanding was The Incredible Hulk was the uh, embodiment of all the anger in Bruce's personality. Yeah. And therefore I didn't understand why he didn't go around just ripping people in half. Well, yes, there is that. And the film did not answer that question sufficiently for me. I mean, I'm, I remember at some point, obviously the, the Incredible Hulk started in... Uh, the 68? 60s no well, I'm oh, the character. Character. Oh, right. this is the point when you're liable to get furious tweets from from anyone that actually knows what they knows what they're talking about but he's just irradiated you know there's a bomb there's a gamma bomb and it explodes and he's irradiated no no I've turned into the Hulk and there's no kind of um, attempt to characterise because that's kind of not what the comics did at the time it's just now he turns green and punches people um, what is it that makes him transform what in the con- in yeah, the original? I, I don't know. He just, I I actually can't remember. Okay. But it does happen when he gets angry. So maybe there is some line about oh that Bruce he's so emotionally repressed. Bloody bloody. In that case, it would be reasonable that any strong emotion mm. would make him transform. Yes. Because that would explain why he has to be so repressed. And on another in his cameo in Mallrats. Stan Lee describes the Hulk as uncontrolled mm. emotion. So it's, I mean, the idea of him, <laughs> the idea of him turning into the Hulk when he laughs too much. Well, yeah, that is, is a you know a problem. Maybe a strong negative emotion. But there is, but it is that thing that the the the, the, the beginning of this film is front loaded with all this stuff about always oh, emotionally repressed and this and that, and it, maybe it is just an attempt to throw everything into the mix that people remember from the comics. But there's no real Maybe sense that he's cutting loose. That yes, he's been emotionally repressed for all these years, and so I, I, it's very. Maybe if it's only strong negative emotions. So if it, when he's really scared, mm. he turns into the Hulk, like a fight or flight response. Yeah, yeah. It's his fight or flight response that triggers the yeah transformation. That makes the most sense, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember what used to trigger... Oh, of course, I was going to say I don't remember what used to trigger it in the TV series, but of course it was... It was, it was, it was don't make me angry, you wouldn't like me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, yes. Um, there are ways of doing this that are just much... I mean, even if you want to do this properly seriously, hmm. there are ways of doing it that are just much more clear-cut and comprehensible yeah. that the audience can engage with. Because there's whole sequences where there's an attempt to build the Hulk up as a separate sort of persona, because there's a shot where he's shaving and he kind of brushes the steam off the mirror and all the Hulk's on the other side. And there's a shot, might even be when he changes for the first time and there's a door being, as you say, the Hulk comes out of the closet. Um, But they don't go anywhere. There's No. no sense that this is the other side of his personality or that this is something is being released that's been bottled up. Apart from the fact that you've got his mum go, oh, he's so 
emotionless or whatever the mm. precise word there is. There's no, there's no, they're just like points on a graph, and nobody's bothered to draw a line between them. They're just there. Yeah. There's, there's not enough. I mean, the the film, we we've struggled with the plot a bit, but yeah. I think that's mainly just because we were just bored. Yeah, I was just um, sitting there going, "Where Green Man?" <laughs> I, I think that. In plot terms, the film does hang together reasonably yeah, yeah, well. Yeah. It's I mean, it's not incompetent or anything like that. But I've complained in the past about films not having enough connective mm. tissue. The connective tissue here isn't missing from the actual plot, which is sort of fine. It's missing from the things that Ang Lee wants to say. Yeah. The ideas he's having aren't joined up. Yeah. And they're not forming into any kind of coherent statement or even mm. half a paragraph. And it's that thing as well that, 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 in my case, I'm sitting here two days later going, oh, yeah, he sends his radioactive dogs to kill Betty. I can't remember were, why. Were they, were, they, were they dogs? Were they just angry? I mean, it's, well, it's all sort of fading into the mist. Yeah, of... but I can't remember why. He do, it's just something he does. I think, he, I think he's trying to, because he knows that will trigger yes. the transformation in Bruce. But then Bruce's... Angry with Talbot anyway. I, I think it's the two things together. Yeah, maybe. But again, it's not completely clear. No. Um, yeah, so he goes and he fights the dogs and kills them. I mean, that's that's the bit I remember people being particularly distinct. You know, the radio. This is the film with a radioactive poodle in it. This is the bit that. There's a shot of them fighting on like a tree branch, and I did look at. It. Oh, that's King Kong. Um, yeah, and it's done, and at least it's kind of done in a way at that point where it's he's showing his homework. You know, you can sit there and you can make the connection if you make. You know, it's it, it's 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 not done in a particularly show off way or anything. It's just there for people that recognise the reference to King Kong. Um, Same as with the, um, the the quiet moment between the Hulk and Betty. Yeah, which is very much yes, yeah, it is, King isn't Kong. it? Yeah. And there's quite a nice shot where she goes out of the cabin that she's staying with, and there's well, that must be a Joshua tree or something. I've no idea what the there's all this kind of gnarled wood all over the place. Yeah. And the cat and the torch goes over it, and the audience kind of realizes that that there's a, something there that Betty doesn't see, and it comes back, and it's the Hulk. And that I think is when she makes the connection with it being Bruce. Um, but again. For a, this is a film that's very, very po-faced about violence. So the dogs explode into little green puffs of smoke when they're killed, which is just odd. Really? Yeah, they don't. Kind of. There's kind of like little. And the, yeah, it's very, very. I mean, it may not be green smoke. It maybe it's meant to be green goo or something. But green blood, maybe. Possibly. Uh, if but, you're going to have the Hulk killing monster dogs, I don't think you need to worry too much about people. Treating that as realistic violence, but this is a when you know, as I say, Talbot's already taken more punishment than most people. You know, I don't think anyone. I'm sure somebody dies in the course of this film, but yeah, that's a good. Oh, um, well, spoiler: David does, doesn't he? Well, yes, I see. Yes, I possibly. Think. Yeah, that's something. Oh, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. We'll get to the end at some point. <laughs> Um, uh, Bruce transforms back while he's looking into a pool of water which made me think of the myth of Narcissus yeah possibly um, and also his trousers have fallen off so he's running around with a bare arse 
Yes. Again, that, that's the other thing, of course, that, you know, the stretchy trousers. Yeah. That this film just completely ignores. And The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton makes into a running gag. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, the, the, I, mean to be, I think the TV series kind of ignored the implications of it as well. Well, I think in that case, because the Hulk doesn't turn into a giant monster, he mm. turns into a very tall man. Yes. You can get away with Bill Bixby wearing baggy trousers that turn into shorts on Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. Whereas here, where he's you know, turning into a 20-foot He gets bigger monster. every time he turns up, doesn't he? He, yeah. it's, he gets bigger when he gets angrier, yeah. I think is the rule. In, in Hulk, certainly. I don't know if it's mm. true for the Incredible Hulk as well. Um, but I just think, either deal with it or avoid it. Yes. Yeah, well, it's one of those. It's one of those things that the more you try, it's one of the things I always remember people joking about with the TV series was that the Hulk's trousers never fell off. In much the same way that I'm sure somebody like Benny Hill did a Wonder Woman joke, where probably Bella Emberg came around, came in and That's spun. That's Russ Abbott. Hey, I know I'm getting on with seventies oh. coming, but she spun around and all in a very TV appropriate way, all her clothes fall off. Um, and it's yes, it's one. Yeah, but I do remember people at the time, even in the seventies, making jokes about the fact that the Hulk's trousers. Yeah, you know, he never loses his trousers. Mm. Um, they have breakfast, and they have a nice long conversation. Oh yes, yeah, of course. They're, they're um, at the cabin, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. they theorise that the nanomeds are responding to the emotional rather than physical damage mm. to Bruce, and that it's starting to un- perhaps unlock repressed memories. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, well, and it also, um, as one of the characters, the characters says, and, 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 and weirdly enough, not in a show-not-tell way, that emotional wounds run deeper and are more and cannot be healed. So the damage, you know, the damage that the nanomeds are trying to heal cannot can't. be fixed. Yeah, and so yeah. Um. But uh, Bruce notes that the emotional pain creates a chain reaction. I'm not sure what that means. I might have remembered that wrong. And that he's starting to like the transformation, which again suggests that he has some kind of conscious awareness of mm. himself as the Hulk. Well, whether... Which I don't think is correct. Whether this is kind of where the film is very vaguely getting into sort of werewolf territory Mm. Um, I don't know Um, but yes the idea of changing and losing control but secretly deep down liking it yeah you know that's a fairly I think Jekyll and Hyde again I think that goes back to Jekyll and Hyde doesn't it I think Dr Jekyll would have been his name now I can't think of it I think Jekyll does come to like in some weird way the process of turning into Mr Hyde yeah but he's also but Hyde is unrestrained id. Yes, yeah. Which the Hulk isn't. No, he isn't, I suppose, is he? I mean, in psychological terms, I think he is, because he's meant to be unrestrained emotion. But... But as you say, he's not running around and tearing people's limbs off. No. Doing, um, but, but, we, but there's no sufficient explanation of why he doesn't do mm. that. Um, so he decided... And then, uh, hang on, what's happening now? 
Then, oh, he's shot with a tranquilizer. Yeah, then the soldiers turn up because I can only assume at some point Betty has told her dad and yeah, I've forgotten Betty, that. Betty decided to ring up her dad to let him know where she is and she forgot that her dad's a big general involved mm. in all this. Um, so they fly him off to uh, a base in the underground at the bottom of a long yeah. slide. Um, and all the, the changes in the cuts and the angles in that sequence really annoyed me. Yeah, no, that's one of those sequences. And, and having said earlier that the the kind of the, the split screen effects are more successful at telling the story, this is the one point when they're not because, oh, here's a shot of a helicopter flying overhead and underneath it's a shot of a helicopter from a slightly different angle. It's yeah. great. It's, now there's two images on screen telling me the same thing. There's not, yeah. There, you're, you're just being fed the same information on multiple yeah. levels. Um, and they're going to keep him in a big water tank, sedated while they you know, slice bits off him. Yes. Oh, that's right, because they, you've had the sequence with the where Talbot, who is d- descending even more into levels of cartoonish supervillainy, Comes in, his own crutches, but he's got a, a cattle prod or something. <laughs> yeah. And he's he's shocking, and Bruce won't transform. So yes, they end up, they put him in a, uh, a sort of sensory deprivation tank, don't yeah. they? And they're giving him dreams. And it's, a, it's a Bacter tank, isn't it, from uh, Apar Strikes Back? Kind of. It is that sort of thing. But uh, what could possibly go wrong? He's unconscious. Well, the Wumpers could break in and start <laughs> smashing up the place. That's true. Or the Empire could find them. I mean, Dis- Disney owns all of these properties now. Wow. <laughs> Maybe at some point, like 70 or 80 years down the line, when they've just exhausted every other possibility, they will just mash everything together and see what happens. And um, David Banner breaks in. His home is raided, and he breaks into the lab. Oh, that's of, right, yeah. Yes, the... The unguarded. The, uni- the university lab. Because yeah. no one's there now, because they've all gone off to the desert, to the yeah. big underground military lab. It's not a crime scene or anything. No, it? I mean, just, there aren't enough characters inhabiting this universe for them to be more than one person in any one building. No, exactly. It's a bit, it's like a, it's like a video game, mm. where you've wandered off into some part where there aren't any non-player characters. Yeah. So you're just wandering around an empty facility. Yeah, or oh, the, the, the one that I, I always remember was when Half, Half-Life 2 came out. Um walked into a room and for some reason uh, well because because my way of playing these games is normally to just hide in the corner and snipe at people until they forget that you're there and go back to the normal routine I crept into this room and nothing happened and I you come in on a balcony overlooking the rest of the room, and I popped up and popped back down and I could see all the characters sitting in the room but because I hadn't walked far enough into the room to trigger their actions they would it was like turning up early for a play or something <laughs> to see all the characters standing there waiting for their cue and that's kind of as you say that's what this is it's just yeah nothing's happened the, the, the uh, David hasn't David has succeeded in the stealth section and he's got into the lab without triggering any of the guards so they're all off doing whatever it is that they do when they're not guarding a crime scene uh, he rewires the lab to irradiate himself yeah. And um, sucks on a big tube uh, to get the nano machine. Oh, well, that's right. Like, yes, like he's you know, huffing paint or like something. He's, like he's, I was going to say like he's you know, trying to commit suicide with the other end of the pipes. I suppose yeah, he's true. Yeah. Car. yeah. Um, so he he huffs the uh, mm. experimental stuff, jumps in front of a particle accelerator, and then turns into Absorbing Man. Yes. 
Which um, is the name from the comic book, so it's allowed to be that. No, good. it's fine. Um, and and again, actually, quite a good little sequence. He puts his hand down on the metal, and suddenly his fingers go. I quite like all that. And yeah. he, and he, uh, one of the guards finally comes in because he's made too much noise. Yeah. Um, and because his hand is sort of stuck onto this mm. metal thing, he just lifts it up in the air and slams well, it down on top of it. Yeah, which may be someone the, finally dies. I was going to say this may be the film's fatality. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> he gloms onto the ground. I say. Um, Meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out what on earth I've written here. Bruce and <laughs> Betty at hometown on yeah. swings. They. Betty, oh, they've been taken to the to the yeah. old abandoned base. Betty is an unqualified um, psychiatrist with no security clearance. Is naturally given top level access to Bruce to try and psychoanalyze him and work out. So yeah, they're wandering around the base, and this is the point when you realise that his dad murdered his mum. Yeah, um, and that the important event in Bruce's childhood was not the gamma bomb exploding like you thought from all the information you were given, but was this, this one thing that they've decided to withhold until halfway through, that his dad, in the process of trying to kill Bruce, I think... Or trying to trigger Bruce, I think like a to... snowflake. <laughs> yes, possibly. Um, Shouldn't he just be talking about libtards? And, um, I don't know. This, there are ways you can do this without making it so complicated. I mean, the idea that I thought he'd kind of the idea that Bruce represses all his negative emotions because he witnessed his father murdering mm. his mother would be fine. I mean, that's that's tough stuff yeah. for a superhero movie, but you could do it. But it's already been established before that that he's emotionally repressed, so that doesn't. Yeah, it's like I say, none of this join, none of this joins up. Yeah, and I th- I thought I could be wrong about this, but I thought that. David is fired by General Ross for experimenting on himself. And I assumed he, he kind of went into this, the boy must die. So I thought he'd come home to kill Bruce, but maybe I'm wrong. As you say, maybe he was trying to do something. He knew that because Bruce was conceived after he'd experimented on himself. Yeah. So he knows he's inherited whatever it is genetically. So the gamma bomb and... Um, some sort of emotional response he knows is necessary to trigger some transformation. And he tries to trigger that transformation by murdering Bruce's mother. I thought that was an accident. But this is because I thought the the death of his mother was an accident. Uh, I thought, thought, and this is just this this interesting thing that that, that we've both seen the same film. And we've both got. Uh, no, I thought he came home and it was in full. He's in full. The boy must die mode. And his wife's yeah. going, no, no, don't. And she is trying to stop him, and she kind of falls on the knife. No, I, no, I think you're right there actually, because you think. Wow, you, you've certainly seen this more recently. Than <laughs> um, and then a gamma bomb goes off, and nobody comments on it. It's just yeah. a thing that happened. Um, but yes, and he's getting all stressed out but obviously not stressed enough to turn into the Hulk which is and um, Talbot turns up and he's injured he's got his arm in a sling oh that's little, right he's yeah, got, the, he's got a little bandage on his forehead yeah yeah. and because at this point the company the evil medical company that he works for has sidelined General Ross and they're going to slice the Hulk open and um, Uses DNA and get yeah, rich yeah, and bioweapons. Yeah. You know, standard villain stuff. It's that thing that there's a temptation to imagine that somewhere, somewhere in his office he's got a blackboard with step one, dissect the Hulk, <laughs> step three, profit, and step two is just question marks. Yeah. Um, 
So Bruce goes back into the isolation tank, so the, the mm. last 20 minutes need not have happened. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, I'd forgotten about that. Yes, he's taken to the base of the tank, then he's let out, and then he's put back in because he won't transform when Tolbert is, is, is cattle prodding out. Yeah. And David goes to Betty's house and tells the general that he'll give himself up if he can see Bruce. Oh, that's right. And this is, yeah. And she and uh, Betty and he have a confrontation. So I, I, tried, I tried to improve on the limits of myself. And she says that all that, she, all that Bruce has inherited from him is fear. Yeah. Doesn't really have any relevance to the rest of the movie. No, it's just... It's a nice line, yeah. but it doesn't mean anything. As, like you said, it's like leftover from another draft. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, and that he treated Bruce as nothing more than an experiment. His whole life. Yeah. Which if, uh, isn't isn't necessarily because you do get shot in some of the flashback shots. You get shots of him being a good father. And I don't know. I don't know whether Ang Lee is. This is Ang Lee kind of shrugging and going. This domestic abuse is complicated, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, Bruce uh, is having a nightmare. Yeah. And then he turns into the Hulk. Yes. Breaks, <laughs> out, of the, breaks out of the tank. And um, starts wrecking the place. And um, they manage to capture him in some special containment foam, which turns into plasticine. Yeah. Um, and Talbot's going to drill a hole uh. in his brain. Um, but that doesn't work. And they fires a grenade at him, but it bounces off and it explodes until it dies. And this bit, <laughs> this bit, uh, no. And this, this is one of the, this, this is one of the bits of the film that that genuinely made me roll my, you know, it's that, come on, Angley, you, I'm trying to be sympathetic to what you're doing here. And th- there's something about this particular sequence that's so, I had to watch it twice to realise that the grenade thing had ricocheted off the Hulk because that's really not clear from what you're showing on the screen, um, and then. It, you know, there's the big wall of flame, and he's kind of blown, and, and it just looks awful. The way and that it, the the figure of the actor yeah. is superimposed onto this explosion, yeah, and and he's freeze framed. It looks goofy. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's replicating a famous frame from the Hulk comics. I don't know, but it just, as you say, it looks stupid. And again, it's the wrong. The tone's wrong. The, it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, they uh, try and shut down the power, and the Hulk gets out, and he's running around all over the desert and jumping all over the sky. And this is, yeah, and this is a nice little action sequence. This bit, although again, and we'll, we'll obviously come back to this in the Incredible Hulk as well. The the U.S. Army's plan to just generally annoy the Hulk by firing weapons at him, shooting at him, never really, never really terribly effective. Um, but at least I suppose here there's a sense of, that they're kind of escalating it in that they start with. Um, they start with they start with regular guns, and then they kind of move up to artillery, and then they move up to tanks, and then they move up to helicopter. And yeah, at least they're trying, I suppose. Um, he's jumping around all away from the mortars. Um, mm. uh, he grabs a tank and just flings it into the distance yes. over the horizon. But don't the, but don't worry, the people the, the, the people tank climb out and they're fine. Yeah. Um, he, the, again, there's a, like a comedy bit where he. Grabs the tar- the mm. the barrel of one tank and bends it around so it's pointing back. That's at the... a really odd. But that I... that is mildly amusing, but, but it's again it's completely out of 
And that's stare. kind of like a that's the kind of thing that, that these days they stick in films just so they can put it in the trailer. Um, yeah, it, it's too silly. I think even yeah. for a Marvel movie, there's a bit in one of the Hobbit films where they're in Goblin Town and they've escaped and there's oh people are sliding down things and there's a crevice and but anyway they fall at the bottom and then somebody goes oh well that didn't. That could have gone worse, or something. and then another thing falls on top of them, and everyone goes ugh. And it's in the trailer, and when I saw it in the when I saw the trailer in the cinema, the audience kind of went, huh. you know, funny thing falls on th- thing falls on uh. man, funny. It's at least, and when you see it in the film, it it doesn't work because a because you've seen the gag in the trailer anyway, and b. It doesn't again. It doesn't match the tone of the rest of the film. No. Um, but there is a before the bit with the tank uh, barrel bending. There's quite. I, I do like the bit where he kind of prizes the top off another tank and is using it to whale on a third one. Yeah. That's quite nice, and that's that strikes me as being the kind of thing that you might expect the Hulk to do. Uh, the general calls in the president for support as the Hulk goes jumping off into the distance and world music plays on the soundtrack mm. to indicate something. <laughs> and at one point he's sitting in the desert and looking at Lycan. Yes. And why is he still the Hulk if he's just sitting there doing nothing? Uh, unresolved father is, is wishes. He, is he angry at the Lycan? Maybe. Maybe the sunlight is... Maybe he's got delicate skin. And Nothing the about him is too. delicate. Well, no. You wouldn't expect him to be a stamp collector. <laughs> um, but then the helicopters come and fire at him and he grabs a missile and bites the end off mm. and spits it back at them. And this is all... I don't, if I call it kind of bog-standard... I don't want to sound dismissive. It's all quite nicely done it's and it's fine, exciting. Yeah. It's exactly the kind of thing you would expect to find in this sort of film. There's nothing wrong with that. No. It's... It's quite good. It's just that we've not been given any real reason to care about what's happening. No, and there's also there's this because I think it, it, there are four sequences, with, effectively four sequences with the Hulk. You've got the first time at the lab. You've got the house and the dogfight. You've got this bit where he goes into San Francisco, and then you've kind of got the end. Yeah. And I don't know. They just these are the bits of the film I remember, and I, I guess it's kind of worrying that I'm not remembering. The character stuff, or the or the motivations. Or well, the... I I think that tells you all you need to know about the film in general. To yeah. be honest, but it's, the... it's only interesting when the monster man's running around. Yeah, but they're like four little islands. They're they're they're, they're separate. But yeah, no, it's it's fine. There's a bit where I don't care what permission the president's given them. They seem to do a lot of damage to a national park. I'm pretty sure they're mm. not allowed to do that. Um, they, he grabs onto a jet and it flies off up into space. Oh, that's right, yes. And um, uh, Hulk falls off. Falls into the San Francisco Bay, doesn't it? Yeah. And then he's running around there and uh, he's about to smash a, a chopper when he sees Betty and he drops the rock he's holding and then mm. turns back into Bruce and all the sweat comes out of him. Yes. <laughs> because... Um, 
It's like heat exchange, isn't it, or something like that. I suppose, yeah, yeah. There's probably some. There's probably some attempt at science going. You'll probably find that somebody sat there and wrote an equation that says that what is it? It's the way that fridges work, or something, isn't it? Gas gets colder when it expands and hotter when it contracts, or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Boyle's law. Yeah. Um, it's probably the scientifically accurate version of this film. Um, uh, David is uh, being transported somewhere, and he's been kept in front of a, uh, an electromagnetic array in order to contain him. This, this again, th- this is one of those bits where partly it no. This is quite a few years before Skyfall, isn't it? Because that was what twenty twelve. Oh yeah, it's nine years earlier. But Skyfall, of course, has the whole sequence where the villain gets captured, but oh no, it's part of his secret plan. And, and that, that's kind of knocked off from the Dark Knight. I was going to say that there, there was a little flurry of films where the villain gets captured, but secretly it's, that's where. And then, of course, it turns out that that's what Nick Nolte. It was just odd to realise that this film had kind of snuck in before all of them because yes Nick Nolte gets captured and it's his secret plan to have some kind of confrontation but once they say he's sitting in front of a thing that will kill him or it it stops him from using his powers or maybe it's that but and he's also tied to a chair just to stop him from just getting up and walking away but somebody says that don't they say something like well the, the first sign of him doing anything will hit that button and whatever it is will happen but what actually happens is they allow Nick Nolte to go in there and visibly upset Bruce Banner in a way that's only ever going to end in one. Nobody takes any kind of action. It's just allowed to go. It's, it's if maybe, you know, again, it's that sense that nobody... Nobody exists unless a camera is pointing at them. No. So when Nick Nolte's having his confrontation with Bruce... Nobody else exists. So there isn't somebody sitting out there with his hand over a button ready to go you know, and, yeah. and slap it at the moment something terrible happens because the camera's not pointing at There's no persistence of character. And that's, that's interesting then because you've got this editing style where you can have lots of images yeah. at once. You could have one part of the screen be you know, this very tense mm. confrontation and, and Bruce looking tense mm. and like he might do something. Another part you could just have a hand hovering over a red yeah, button. Yeah, getting a bit closer. You, you could do... You, yeah, actually, that that that's that's where the editing style breaks down, isn't it? Because that's what should be happening. Or you should have they should have him wired up to a heart monitor or something, yeah. and you can see his heart rate spike. You wouldn't need. I mean, things scenes like that. You wouldn't need to disrupt them by having cutaways because no. you could just do them within the same shot. Yeah. And you can play that as being well. It's stylization like in a comic book, but mm. also it's a little editing technique, and it can work that way. Mm. But because it's overused in weird ways, like the helicopter transport yeah. scene, where it's totally redundant. Yeah. It's not employed properly, because but, ultimately the director doesn't know how to tell this kind of story. No. And actually, I think by the time you get to this, because we're quite late into the film at this point, yeah. and a lot of that stuff has kind of stopped being used anyway, I think, because it's perhaps because somebody's gone, maybe we shouldn't distract the audience yeah, for the climax. Because the editor's getting tired. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they're raining down the deadline towards when the film has to be finished. Mm. Um, but um, David decides to bite into a big cap power cable. Yes, and then he becomes Electric Man. Yes. Um, and um, they, they they let Bruce go free, and... Uh, do, do they let Bruce go free, or does he just change into the... Because finally somebody... Well, we cut back to the soldiers watching, so now they exist. Yeah. And now the soldier's frantically slamming his hand on the button, but there's no power because... Because he's bitten through the cable. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So Bruce turns into the Hulk and jumps into the sky. Or some or possibly his dad picks his and, and David's turned into bolts of lightning and there are there are flashes as he's jumping mm. through a lightning filled sky and he's and the Hulk's fighting a cloud. Or is he carrying... Because the, the, it's because of the way it's shot. It's yeah. very hard to tell what's going on. The one point when they suddenly decide to start telling the story visually is the one point when you can't tell what's going on because they're not telling it in a way that you can see what's actually happening. No. But it looks it looks quite nice and dreamlike. I'm not sure I want dreamlike imagery at the, at the climax of a film. but. Um. And they crash into a lake, mm. and David turns into some rocks. Yeah, and then some water. And then turns into some water, and says, oh, I, I, give me all your power. Yeah. And... So he does. He does, and and like Mondas before him... Yeah. It's, oh, no, 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 that's too much, that's too much. <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> it's like, yeah. what's, what's the line in The Simpsons? Send the biggest thing oh, you yes. have. <laughs> no, that's too big! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, no, and it is, and, and and then he should have been. He should have been played like Hans Molman. That would have been all the fantastic. way through. The I'm your father, Bruce. <laughs> if, and if possible, if you could have arranged him to be hit in the crotch by a football. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they catch it. That's yeah, or how they defeat him at the end. Yes. Um, the and then something happens. Yeah. Um, now he's he dies or turns into. Gas. The Wikipedia summary describes it as he turns into an enormous drop of water. Fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to go with that. Um, Is that, that what it actually says? I think it says all? something like that. If you go right down to the end of the plot. As he is transformed into a gigantic sphere of water, he is killed by a missile from the army. Now, that's not... Not necessarily my understanding of it, but that's as good an attempt as any to literally write down what you see on screen. Because all you can say is something. He's beaten. He's, he's going, oh, no! And then he's hit by a missile. Yeah. Oh, well, that looks pretty final. Yeah. He sounded like he was struggling. And, uh, oh, yes, DB, t- DB into big bubble, question mark. Yeah. Hit, no, with, the... hit with missile, change back, feel sorry for general, question mark. Yeah... I think, yeah. as, you, as you say, the, the character of General Ross is well played enough that you do, you don't feel, you kind of feel, you do feel sorry for him. I think, um... He's... The trick with a lot of characters is they always have to believe that they're doing the right mm. thing. That they are the central character in their own story. Yeah. And you don't feel that with Talbot. Because Talbot's just this ludicrous character. No, he's just if he... But the general, you always get the feeling that he's he has a good reason why he's doing this. Mm. He's not a bad man. He's not evil in any way. He's dealing what he considers to be dealing with what he thinks is a major threat to yeah. his daughter, to yeah. the United States, and also a threat that he thought you know he he, he saw David locked up. And so he thought that threat had passed, and now suddenly it's come back in the weirdest possible way. And, his... and he has a responsibility and a duty to deal with that. And the other thing as well is that you could, you could make a, you could completely change the focus of this film, and suddenly it's General Ross, and the Hulk is aside, you know, and, and it's everything, you know, you you could make the film what General Ross does to fight the Hulk. Hmm. And yeah, he's a solid enough character. You couldn't do that with Tolbert. Um, no. I don't know why. Um, and I'm not really sure you 
could do it with Betty either, particularly. I don't think Betty has enough to do and has enough agency no. within the story. Um, no. Which is a shame. It's a running... I mean, it's. Uh, I think it's a, reflected in The Incredible Hulk later on, and it's a running problem in a lot of the yeah. Marvel movies that the female love interest doesn't get enough to do. No. I mean, the nadir of it is Doctor Strange, where people forget that Rachel McAdams is even in the movie. <laughs> I'll take your word yeah, for it. Yeah, because she's actually in it. Yeah. Remember? Mm, no. Not really. There's one scene, which is actually quite a good one, where um, uh, Strange is having his heart resuscitated by... Like, she's in the middle of doing surgery to save his life, right. while his astral form is fighting oh, with another with a villain yes, going, going through yeah. the wall of the... Yeah. The surgical room. That was, I think, the image that the director pitched that landed in the job of mm. having this sort of multi-layered sequence. But yeah, Rachel McAdams is in that. Is in there? Yeah. Um, so a year later, Betty's back in the lab. Um, the general gives her a ring, um, and um, he acknowledges that even if Bruce had been in contact with her, she wouldn't tell him. This is one of those really odd. Sequences. It, if it, there's a, I think there's a caption, isn't it? That says like one year later. Yeah. It's. It doesn't strike. It's just one of the again, and this is so kind of nitpicky, but it it kind of was another piece of grit. The that that's not the conversation you would have like one year later. That's the conversation you might have a couple of days later or a week later. But man, what the hell? You know, we've established that the scripting of this is not. Um, not necessarily perfect. Um, but yeah, no, um, they, she wouldn't tell him. But their relationship is good. They're talking again, that's nice, yeah. And um, she says that she wouldn't want to see him anyway. But it's kind of ambiguous over whether or not she yeah. means that. And then we cut to the jungle, where mm. Bruce is working with some kind of aid organisation, yeah, uh, handing out medication and... and you know, delivering uh, medical assistance where it's needed, and suddenly some evil rebel people turn up and say, "Hey, we're going to take away all your medication." And Bruce says, "Don't make me angry," as his eyes yeah. change green and the film ends. Um, well, I think we've established that we're not keen on it. <laughs> I think that this is the weird thing: is that I, 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 I don't want to sound like I've talked myself out of it. I still do think that this is. An interesting film. I agree. But it's got a lot of problems. It's trying to do something different yeah. and trying to do something original. It just doesn't understand why mm. what it's trying is a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, adherence to formula is a problem, but so is trying to, to completely turn yeah. things over. And... and, and and I think the other problem is as well, like I'm left with the impression that they went into this maybe with a script that too many people had written or that, that I wanted it wasn't developed. I, I couldn't tell you if this has been overwritten or underwritten, but there are script it feels like the script wasn't a good starting point for this film. And everything kind of goes wrong from there. You've got a director that's determined to be wildly experimental in ways that even he doesn't understand. <laughs> um and the result, yes, is is it, it, how can something be flawed but interesting but also dull but it is I, I think that's fair uh, Terminator 3 yeah that's true 
Um, apparently Michael France was the original scriptwriter. Uh, then John Turman came in. Uh, Jonathan Hensley. Then uh, John Turman came back for more rewrites. Oh, okay. Then Zach Penn rewrote it. Uh, then you had, had Jonathan Hensley rewriting it again. Then J.J. Abrams, Scott Alexander and Larry Karazowski, uh, who wrote um, People vs. Larry Flint and Ed Wood. Right. Then uh, Michael France came back and da 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 and it finally landed at Michael Tolkien and David Hayter, and finally James Seamus, who wrote the, the final version right. of the script. So it's gone through so many people. Yeah over the course of over a decade in development. And at some point somebody's gone, oh, you know that scene from... I like that scene from the last script, but three. We should put that scene back in. And so somebody has gone, okay, fine. I mean, there never seems to have been any focused vision on the script. I mean, I Mm. like the story from the making of Star Trek II, where they had several different scripts, many of them unrelated, and Nicholas Mayer just went away for a week. Mm. He wrote a new script, taking all the bits that he liked, a character, a plot idea, some dialogue, yeah. mashed them all into one draft, and that was the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Yeah, and the, but the, of course the problem is that, that that process only works if you've got Nicholas Mayer on board. It works when you have someone who knows what they want. Mm. And I don't think that Ang Lee really ever understood what he wanted. Was he... I mean, presumably he was brought on as a kind of hired gun. This would have been after... um, Don't say Brokeback Mountain. No, I was trying to work out... uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes. Yeah, because that had been... A surprise hit. Mm. I think it's the highest grossing foreign language film ever in the yeah, US. Yeah, and that was the film that obviously got him. So presumably he was built, bought into the Hulk, ironically, rather the same way that they seem to be doing a lot of the films these days. They take a director that's made effectively a, a film with a singular vision and then go, off you go, go and make one of our corporate blockbusters. Yeah. Um, but in this case, maybe because he wasn't bought, maybe because this wasn't a project he'd instigated, or for, but for whatever reason, he, as you say, he didn't know what he wanted. You had a script that was presumably written by Cometti, and, yeah. Well, I wonder if uh, any possible second attempt at the Hulk might uh, yield a more coherent, entertaining vision. To be continued... Thanks to Chris for making time for this podcast. Cinema Limbo is on Apple Podcasts with over 70 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. We're also on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, and Podnos is on Patreon, so please do make a one-off or regular contribution to help us with our running costs. However, until next time, you wouldn't like me if I was Stuart Lee. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com. Mm-hmm.